The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Good morning, church. Can you hear me? Yes, you can. All right. Welcome, everyone. I'm glad you guys made it. It is a bit snowy out there, but you braved the weather. I love it. Thank you for being here. My name is Rudy. I'm one of the pastors here, and I just want to welcome you all here in person and online. If you are new here, uh, we would love to get to know you a little better. So please fill out a card that's in the seat in front of you or go online and fill out the welcome form just so we get to know you better. Uh, After the service today, we have our membership meeting. So after we're done here, we're not going to take the chairs down immediately. We're going to wait. We're going to have a membership meeting. There will be lunch provided. Uh, So please stick around. We have some exciting things that we have to talk about, including the budget but also some uh, other membership happening. Uh, So be there. Our seniors ministry, Growing in Grace, they have their Christmas party on Thursday the 8th. So if you are 55 over and you have not registered for that, please do so. You can do so either in person, outside in the foyer after the service, or online at uh, the Growing in Grace website. The registration deadline is today, so you better make sure you get there soon. Um, our Christmas offering. This is very exciting for me. I, I love the uh, hearing about our missionaries and uh, the things that we support. And the Christmas offering this year is th- the goal is $3,750. And that's going to be split evenly between Far Corners, India, uh, Canadian Baptist Ministry, Bolivia, and the Angel Tree Christmas. Uh, Prison Fellowship, which uh, delivers presents to, from people, uh, from parents in prison to their children. Um, and there is a very exciting opportunity that comes with this because anything that goes beyond this goal will actually go to the WRBC Food Bank Hampers. We've talked about those a little bit before. We uh, actually have two deadlines for those. The first one uh, on December 8th, that's this Thursday, and praise God, 30 hampers have already been delivered. That's uh, December 8th covered, and we're very excited for that. And there will be another 30 coming for December 22nd, so make sure to uh, uh, go out there, take a look at the, um, the list for the hampers, and if you can help, that would be amazing. We, uh, as I mentioned, we are very excited to uh, support our missionaries. And this year, like we've had in the past, we have digital Christmas cards for our missionaries. Uh, This is just so we can reach out and let them know that we are thinking about them. Uh, Basically, what you do is you go on whitechurchbaptist.ca forward slash missions, and you click on the digital Christmas card, and then you can just sign it from you, from your family, just to let our missionaries know that we are thinking about them and we like them and we want them to uh, continue what they're doing. Um, That actually brings me to another point. Later in the service, we're going to have our missionary, whom we name Priscilla, uh, join us to share some of her story. And I'm very excited to hear that because um, she's she's been a really awesome... uh, person that, uh, that's been, well, really awesome missionary and has been doing an amazing job. And so we want to hear her story. That part will not be streamed due to the nature of her job. 
and um, that will be in in-house only. Um, and uh, the last announcement, we are coming close to Christmas, and for our church celebration this year, we are going to celebrate on the 24th uh, at 5 p.m. on December 24th. The service will be streamed, but then we will also have a service on Sunday, the, the, uh, the 25th, uh, and in the morning, as we always do, at 10.30 a.m. Uh, but that service will not be streamed. There will be an audio, uh, audio recording of the sermon available after the service. Uh, now I want to uh, call up our Advent readers for today, Dave and Lorraine. If you would come and join me and read our Advent story. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked John, saying, Why then do you baptize, if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethbara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Bible tells us that John the Baptist was a man sent by God to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus. He lived out his calling in joyful anticipation of the coming Savior, proclaiming to everyone who would listen to him that the promised one, the light of the world, would soon be known. Just imagine the joy that he must have felt on that extraordinary day when he saw Jesus walking toward him on the bank of the Jordan River. This was the moment John had been waiting for all his life. His voice must have been trembling with excitement when he said, Behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins, sin of the world. May our joy also be full as we behold our Savior, the very Son of God who became flesh to live among us, who died as a sacrifice for our sin, and who is now exalted to the highest place. Praise be to our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it an amazing thing that we, by the provision of God, we get to live in a time in history where the light of the world has already come, and we know his name, and his name is Jesus, and he is the one in whom we can have life, he is the one in whom we can have salvation, he is the one in whom we can have a future, an eternity, forever, and we get to know that already. John the Baptist was waiting so that the the world could know that, this, that, that, that he was finally here, and, uh, and that is now something that, that we get to live every day with Christ. Uh, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
uh, what a privilege it is for us as his church to worship our Savior. And I invite you to stand and let's give him all of our worship this morning. <coughs> a, a few minutes, uh, Pastor Doug is going to lead us through a time of confession and also uh, the Lord's Supper. And uh, that's going to happen right after this, this song that we sing together. Uh, if you don't yet have uh, the elements for the Lord's Supper, the package with the bread and the juice, uh, that's just at the back door of this room where you came in. You can, you can grab that during this song. Also, for those of you at home, if you haven't had a chance to, uh, to get that yet, this is a, a chance to get that. And before we sing, I'd like to read to you uh, what I, I think is my favorite verse of Scripture or passage. Philippians chapter 2, and I especially love it uh, at Christmas time. Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet, while shepherds watch our keeping. This, this is Christ the King. Shepherds, God, and angels sing. So great. 
Please have a seat. This morning we are privileged to come as family to remember what Christ has done for us. And this table is a table of remembrance. Uh, yesterday morning as I was spending my time with God in his word, I was in the gospel of Mark and came across the greatest commandment, which most of us, it just flows out of our heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But Mark adds an element that's different than in Matthew. And when he's asked about what's the greatest law, he, Jesus starts by saying, listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. And that's the part that really hit me that morning. Just listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. And when I thought about my own life and about confession and about just getting right with God in the morning, it's listen, Doug, remember who I am. I am one. I created you. I love you. You're meant to have life in me. And when you have that, it's evidenced by loving me with all your being. And it's evidenced by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's not the command that you have to, it just flows out of who you are in me. So the confession is, Lord, forgive me that so often I don't listen. So often I just assume I know. Oh, I know what the greatest commandment is. But what the Lord wants is for me and you and us to abide with him, to listen to him together, to remember who he is and all his majesty and say, Lord, thank you for the privilege that we can love you. That that is not drudgery or a chore, that is the joy of our being when we're right with you. And Lord, forgive me that so often that might not be true in my daily living, in the moment by moment. Lord, forgive me that when I have these phantom conversations in my mind between myself and someone else and I'm tempted to treat them in a way that you haven't treated me, that I don't slow down enough to listen to your voice and I allow that phantom conversation to continue. Lord, would you help me to listen? Jesus listened to his father. All throughout his ministry, he went, he prayed, and throughout the day he listened to his father so he knew what to do. So my point of confession is, Lord, I don't listen enough. Please help me to listen more. That may be your confession too. I know it's our confession as a church that we need to listen to him more. We need to enjoy him more. We need to love him more because he loves us. Oh, what a joy to confess something that would bring us more life. That's what the Lord has for us. Every time he says confess, it's so that we might be forgiven and receive his grace and say, thank you, Lord, I'm not deserving of you. And so as we go into Christmas, think about how much of Christmas isn't really about Christ. How much of our thought life takes us off of Christ and onto all the other things that are wonderful and good, but they're not him. Lord, this Christmas, may we listen to you and enjoy you. 
with that, please join with me in prayer. And then we'll take communion together. And communion is for any of you who have come to the place to say, I need to depend on Jesus Christ for my salvation, for the forgiveness of my sins. And because of him, and because he's brought me to a point where I can submit my life to him, I have life in him. I've died to myself. I have life in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. This is who the table's for. And God invites anyone to this table who's willing to accept him as their heavenly father, savior, and allow the Holy Spirit to become your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for being a God who speaks and shares with us and who invites us into a, a deep and abiding, life-giving relationship with you and that you've created us to be in that life together that you desire for us to exude your love as a church because you have loved us immensely. And Father, with joy, we confess that we have so much to experience from you that we don't receive because we're busy, we're distracted. So we come to you and we confess our need of you. We confess that we get, to, we get sidetracked, Lord. Even over Christmas, we get sidetracked. So we come to you, Lord, and we ask for your forgiveness. And we thank you that we already know that by your grace we've been covered, we've been forgiven. That you see your son when you look at your church. Lord, use us to glorify you. Use us to worship you because that's where we will find fulfillment in life. May that worship lead us to love others as you have loved us. Thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice you made for us. Thank you also for rising again. And thank you for ascending into heaven and sending us your Holy Spirit so that we might have the comforter, the source of wisdom in us so that we might live well with you. Thank you, Father. We worship you together now. Help us to do so throughout the day. In Jesus' name, amen. During the last meal with his disciples, Jesus took the bread, he broke it, and after giving thanks, he said, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And then after the supper, he gave the cup. He said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's do that together as well. This morning's scripture that we're going to be hearing uh, from in the sermon is Matthew 7, verses 24 to 29. 
and I'm going to read that for us now, and I invite you please to stand for the reading of God's Word. Everyone, then, who hears these words of mine and does, not, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And God bless the reading of his word. Please have a seat. So this morning is a little bit different than uh, some Sunday mornings. Uh, this morning, Pastor Terry and Pat have had the privilege of attending the child dedication of their granddaughter, Lucia. That's Holly and Joel's daughter, uh, and that's in Landmark. And uh, Pastor Terry has had uh, every intention of, of being here this morning in time to preach. I gave him about a 70% probability that he'd get here in time after, uh, after that, and I haven't seen Pastor Terry yet. No, I got, a, I got a this from Mark Coop right now. So, <laughs> but uh, we have a plan B for that other 30%, just in case. And that plan B is on Friday, uh, we videotaped Terry uh, preaching the sermon. So you are going to hear Terry's sermon this morning, but you're going to see it on TV, even in this room. So we're going to start that right away. Of the Gospel of Matthew over three months ago in September, and uh, today we're going to finish it. And uh, these are three chapters that are powerful, called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is, is really teaching what he is valuing in the kingdom of God, and he is clarifying the kind of followers that Jesus is also looking for. And the Apostle Matthew had taken it on the challenge of harmonizing the teaching of Jesus and the life of Jesus harmonized into one story or one gospel, the gospel of Matthew that we have in our Bibles, the first book of the New Testament. He organizes his material around five sections with a prologue before and an epilogue after. The prologue in chapters 1 to 4 of Matthew is all about the birth of Jesus Christ, his coming, his first coming, his first advent. And then the epilogue is, is all about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension and then his great commission to us as his followers to go and make disciples of all nations. And then in between the prologue and the epilogue, these five sections are divided with a key phrase which gives us the clue of what it is he's doing as Matthew moves on to the next section. And so that little phrase is this, when Jesus had finished saying these things, dot, 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 when Jesus had finished saying these things, five times. And so at the end of chapter 7, the scripture reading that Kevin read for us this morning, uh, it is when Jesus had finished saying these things, 
And now we move on in January, we'll move on to the next section in chapter 8. And so we're going to study the entire Gospel of Matthew. We're not going to be finished until Easter of 2024, but it's exciting as we consider that we are being able to be discipled by Jesus through via the Apostle Matthew as we dig into these scriptures and think about them. And so let me just ask the Lord to bless as I pray for us in receiving the Word of God this morning once again. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your Word. And as it goes forth today and any day that somebody reads it or hears this message, I pray that you might accomplish what you've sent it out to do. And Lord, that you might have your way in us as we think about the kind of lives that we're living and the kind of foundation that we are being built on. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning as we conclude the first of those five sections, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, as I said last week, Jesus has issued some very strong words of warning. First of all, in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he has warned us about the road that we travel in life. And he said there's two roads. There's a road that has a wide gate, but he said enter instead through the narrow gate. The narrow gate leads to a a harder road, and there's less people on that road, but it leads to life. And the other road that has the wide gate is an easier road, and there's many on it, but it leads to destruction. He warns us about the lives we're living, the road we're traveling. Then in chapter 15 to 20, he talks about false teachers, and he warns us against the kind of teaching that we receive. Be careful of these false teachers because um, you'll understand them by their fruit. Watch their lives. Watch their teaching. And then finally, in verses 21 to 23, Jesus warns us about being false followers. And uh, he tells us that we need to be careful how we live because not everybody on the day of judgment that says Lord is going to be into the kingdom of heaven. And so there's a clear flow of thought here. First of all, there is in verse 13 this two roads to travel enter through the narrow gate. And one road alone leads to life. Jesus does not mince words. And then Jesus warns about the false teachers. The false teachers are the ones that point people down the wrong road that leads to destruction. And then finally, in in the the next section, he, he clarifies and he says if you follow the wrong road that is being pointed to by the wrong teachers and books and philosophies, then you're going to also end up like them. And on the day of judgment, you might be surprised to hear Jesus say, I never knew you. And so these are stern words of warning. And uh, we we must pause on holy ground in the scriptures, this ancient book that reveals the word of God to us in every generation. And we must think about the words of Jesus. Do not mock God. Do not trample underfoot the blood of Jesus Christ, this offer of God to us as sinners that has made a way for us to be reconciled to God, to be at peace with God, and to have eternal life and forgiveness. Do not treat him as a religious duty. Do not treat God as a symbol or a code of ethics. 
get to know him and let him get to know you so that on that day he will say, I know you, enter into my joy. There is an engraving in a cathedral in a northern town of Germany called Lübeck. And on, that, on the wall of the cathedral is engraved this saying. It says this, Thus speaketh Christ our Lord to us. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me the way and walk me not. You call me life and live me not. You call me wise, but follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. And so, if I condemn you, blame me not. Wow. Strong words. Clear words. Jesus is not vague. He is not obtuse. Jesus has no qualms about dividing all of humanity into two camps. There are two roads. There are two kinds of teachers. There are two kinds of followers. And finally, there are two foundations that you can build your life on. And that is the very last picture that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the scripture that was read for us this morning. And I again remind you that all of what Jesus is saying in these strong words are out of an absolute heart of love. It is it was love for sinners like you and I that Jesus does not want us to make wrong choices in this life. And so, may you receive it that way. In verses 24 to 27 of Matthew 7, he tells us the parable of the wise and the foolish builders. It is a graphic picture of two men who build their houses on different foundations altogether. One house is built on rock and solid the other house is built on sand and shifting. <clears throat> and this is the last picture that Jesus gives us. Do you remember the song in Sunday school? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rain came tumbling down. The rain came down and the floods came up. The rain came down and the floods came up. The rain came down and the floods came up. But the house on the rock stood firm. And then he goes on, that Sunday school song says, The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. Rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the sand went splat. That's when we in the Sunday school class in my, in my church, would all, all of us kids would fall down. It was the most fun part of the whole song. I'm not sure how much we understood of the gravity and the eternality of that song. Maybe you sang it as well. What is Jesus illustrating in this metaphor? He clearly states that both uh, the man that built on the rock and the sand are builders who had heard these words of Jesus, presumably the entire Sermon on the Mount. They had heard the words of Jesus. Both the wise and the foolish builder knew the truth of Jesus. The only difference is that one of them put his words into practice and the other one only heard 
the words, but did not put them into practice, did not obey, did not apply the words of Jesus. Listen to what John Stott says. The contrast in verse 21 was between saying and doing. Many will say, Lord, Lord. But in this verse, in verse 24, it is about hearing and doing. Both are members of the visible Christian community. Both read the Bible, go to church, listen to sermons, buy Christian literature. The reason you often cannot tell the difference is that the deep foundations of their lives are hidden from view. The real question is not whether they hear Christ's teachings, but whether they do what they hear. And only a storm is going to reveal that truth. That's the teaching of this parable. So be very clear about this parable. Jesus is not talking to unbelievers here. He is talking to people who have heard the truth and have even professed the truth, Lord, Lord, but they have not practiced the truth. They are not living the will of God. And so this is where the foundation comes in. I want to say three things about this parable this morning. And I want you to notice them. First of all, houses might look the same, but they can be built very differently. And if any of you have ever built a house or had a house built, you will know that not all houses are built the same. My dad was a builder, and I learned a lot about building from him. And one of the most important lessons I know that he taught me was that the importance of a foundation that is under the house. I remember when we built a lodge near Kenora uh, for a KOA campground that my mom and dad operated for several years. I, it was a big building, and uh, one summer my dad hired all of my brother and I, all of our friends got a summer job that year. And we, we did all of the mixing of the concrete by, by hand, a, a, a small a gas-powered mixer. But the mixing and the pouring was only part of the job. The greater part of the job was digging out that clay gumbo that was around Kenora. And it was hauling in the crushed rock in its place. And it was putting in the weeping tile around that building. And then it was the preparation of the forms for the footings. And this is all done, and it was weeks before we even started the cement mixer. And that, even, it, that doesn't even account for the building of the forms and the foundation walls that were all underground and unseen. If there's anything that this parable teaches us, it is that the hurried life, the unexamined life, the life that is careless is not a life that is built on a foundation that is going to last or stand in eternity. And just like many houses newly built today can look the same on the outside because everything that it's built on is underneath the ground, so also there are many lives that might look the same on the outside, but they're very different. And so, like houses have years of settling and moisture and freezing and thawing and all that takes place and it's take its toll, so also throughout life we begin to see maybe what a life is built on. And so in the same way, people's lives do not always show the foundation. We seldom actually, we seldom get to know people well enough to see just what makes them tick to see what they're depending on, what they're trusting in, what they really love in their heart of hearts. 
But when hard times come, we do sometimes see the quality of the foundation and what is built on. The second thing I want to say about this parable is that there are houses that won't fall in a storm, and there are houses that will fall in the storm. Jesus uses the same verbiage to describe both the house that's built on the rock and the house that's built on the sand. It says that the rain fell, the floods came up, the winds blew, and the winds beat upon those houses. The same verbiage is used of both houses, the same circumstances for both lives. You know, this past spring, I don't know about you, but I know that this past spring, many houses in Winnipeg had a severe test that uh, has not happened for, for many years. We had lived in our house for over 12 years and not had one drop of water in our basement. And then this past spring, it tested that to the limit. All the rain, all the groundwater, it could not penetrate that frozen ground. It stayed on top. It ran toward the houses and so on. And we had a leaky window well that caused us great strife. We had to get it fixed. It cost us money to get it fixed. And we fully disclosed to the new owner that was buying our house what we did to correct the problem. Maybe it's going to be another decade or two before the same kind of circumstances happen. But I'm trusting that this new owner will not face that because we tried to correct the problem. And I'm so grateful to Ernie, Phil, and Rennie for helping me out in the middle of the night one time or twice maybe uh, when we were really desperate. Jesus is describing the severe testing that can come to our lives. Not just the trials of this world and this physical life that we're living it out, but actually, the, more importantly, the final judgment that all of us are living our lives toward and all of us will stand before in as Hebrews speaks of in chapter 9, verse 27. We will be judged not just for what we say we believe, as Jesus says, but what we do with what we have heard Jesus say. What we do. Have we lived out our profession of faith? Do we possess what we profess? Have we walked the walk or only talked the talk? Have we lived it out practiced it. In Bonhoeffer language, have we been consumers of cheap grace or have we truly appreciated the costly grace that Jesus paid for at the cross for sinners like you and I? Are we poor in spirit like the Beatitudes begins the Sermon on the Mount? Are we poor in spirit and do we mourn that poverty of spirit? And does it lead us to hunger and thirst after righteousness? That righteousness that means simply righteous living, holy living, godly living. Just as there are houses that won't fall when the rains come down and the floods come up and the winds blow and beat on those houses, so also there are lives that will not fall even when severe trial come against them and even when they stand before God on judgment day because they've been built on the solid rock of faith in Jesus Christ. The foolish builders, however, the pseudo-Christians, the false followers that Jesus is describing here and warning against are, are the people that have built their houses on, on the sand. 
You know, the word for foolish in this scripture is the word moros, where we get our word moron from. The word moron has to do with someone who is mentally dull, someone who has lost their sharp edge and no longer thinks clearly, has been, has been sleepily, drearily, carelessly lulled into a dullness that is not sharp toward the values of life and eternity. And so the house that stands on the sand is going to fall with a great crash. It's, the word is mega. It's going to fall with a big crash, a big fall, a mega fall. This is talking about an eternal fall. And then finally, I want to say that houses that reveal, that are built on the rock or on the sand, they reveal something about their builder. And that's what it's meant to be in this parable. Over time, you see, whatever house is built and however it's built and what it's built on, over time, it will be revealing what it's built on. The foundation, the quality of the foundation and the quality of the builder. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11, For no one can lay any foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Don't try building on any other foundation. Don't take any other road. Don't listen to any teacher but what is truthfully biblical. Don't be a false follower. Don't build your house on the sand. Build on Jesus our lives are meant to show Jesus as the divine architect, the divine builder of our lives. And we want, we want to build our lives on the foundation that he provides. A house's foundation is not visible at first, but it becomes visible over time as we understand, how's that house doing? Does it have water in the basement? Is it, is it actually sinking in one end? Is it cracked in the foundation floor? Does it have to have major repairs? You know, when we stand strong, though we are weak, when we stand strong, what do we point out? We reveal the foundation that we're built on. Though we are weak, we reveal that we have a strong Savior. A strong Savior. So in conclusion to this message and this parable that Jesus speaks, I want to urge you, to build your life on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. And I want to just say four things that I think building your life on the rock means. First of all, building your life on the rock, which is Jesus Christ, means that you are emptied of pride, of your own self-independence. You are poor in spirit, and you know it. And you know that the foundation of your life is Jesus, and that the stability that comes into your life is because of his stability in, in you. Secondly, building your life on the rock means that you are heeding, hearing and heeding the words of Jesus. It, it, is, it is like your ears are tuned to the frequency of God's word, of true truth that comes from Jesus, and all the other shh noise that comes from other frequencies, false teachers and philosophies, worldly philosophies, that noise, it somehow is blocked out, screened out, because you've attuned your heart and your ears to Jesus. Thirdly, living your life and building your life on the rock means that you live carefully. You live reflectively. 
and you serve God by serving needs that you know are beyond just you. And then finally, living and building your life on the rock means that when hard times come that threaten you, in whatever form they take, you live your life secure. You know that God's got your back. You know the foundation that you're built on. Does not rock your world when these things happen that causes maybe others to crumble. You are able to stand secure. God is the strength of your life. God is your portion forever. We read in the last two verses of this scripture in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, that's that clue that Matthew's getting ready to move on in chapter 8. He says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Interesting. Interesting words. The, the word they were astonished is hard to translate in English. It's a word that's saying like they were out of their minds amazed at the teaching of Jesus. They'd never heard someone speak so clearly, so simply, so affirmatively, so authoritatively. And Jesus indeed alone can do that. And so may we, as we have heard his words even this day, be the ones who receive that authority from him and build our lives on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. May we be hearers of the word, but may we be doers also. Amen. May God bless us. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is shifting sand. Amen. Amen. You know, I was just thinking about how we went through such a long period of time where Terry was here every Sunday morning and everybody heard him from somewhere else. And today we just, we just switched. But uh, God bless the preaching of his word, however it's done, and let's uh, respond by, by praising our God. Please stand. Lord God, I thank you for how much you love us. I thank you for your presence with us. I thank you for the truth of Emmanuel, God with us. And I pray that you would be the foundation upon which we build our life and our church. Help us to be wise. Help us to be intentional. Help us to be wise in what we listen to, wise in, in what we think about, wise in where we direct our focus, wise in what we are doing and, and serving during our day. Help us to be wise and intentional about that. Lord, and I pray that, that you would allow us every day to know you more and allow others to know you more as well as they read your story in us, in how we love them and how we live. Uh, I pray that uh, you would be blessed and continually blessed by this church family as you grow us. Thank you, Lord, for your, your, uh, your love for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.